So today, um, as you know, well, you may not know, because you may be like, what? This may be your first time here. We are studying the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in Psalms forever. No, we're going to be in Psalms until August. And what we're doing as a church is we're reading together a particular song, Psalm, song, every day, except Sunday. Then one of us will preach on one of the Psalms that we read during the week. And so, um, if you want, do we have any still have books left? Are they gone? They're gone. I was going to say, well, supplies last, but supplies didn't last. So, but if you want to, we have bookmarks and we also have a PDF and you can read along with us. So, let me just tell you, uh, today we're going to do Psalm 96, okay? So you should be ready with Psalm 96 on your phone, on your book, on, I don't know, a Bible? Wow, what a novel idea. All right, so... We're going to do that, but before we get to that, (laughs) we're going to go to another part of Scripture that includes Psalm 96. Do you guys know where that's at? How many, raise your hand if you know. All right, you guys are overachievers, I'm just saying. You guys are overachievers. So... It is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. So I'm going to read just a little bit of 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Set the stage. I wouldn't say it's an introduction. It's, let's just say it's my first point. Because my first point will have three points. And then my second, it's on my six, I'll do three. You know, as pastors, we do three. Three all the time. So, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And the first seven verses, which include hard names, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's important. Names are important. Okay? So here we go. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite, man and woman. Now, if you are reading along from the New King James Version, or another version other than the NIV, which I'm reading right now, it says that he gave a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Interesting. There's a little difference there. But what we do know is that David gave out of his plenty to everyone. Everyone that's in Jerusalem. I mean, that's a lot of cakes. That takes, you don't just come up with a cake. Hey, let's go, let's go over to the stopping shop and pick up 200 cakes. You've got to make them, you've got to prepare them. So wait, there's some intentionality here. Continuing on, verse 4, he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol or to praise, thank and praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. And next to him in rank was Zechariah, then Jazael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, 
Mathaniah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. That day, David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Okay, so let me set the stage here for you. David has wanted to bring the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. During the entire time of Saul, the temple... The tabernacle, the ark, was not in Jerusalem. We know that during Saul's reign, it was in Nob. Okay? But it wasn't brought into the city of David. It was, he, he wanted God close to him. And so he starts doing it, and he does it the wrong way. And someone dies because they touched the ark. So I said, okay, whoa, 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 let's, let's, let's do it the right way. And he, talk, he talks to the Levites to get on, and it finally gets into Jerusalem. And David has built a tent, a tabernacle, so that the ark of the Lord can be in Jerusalem. And this is the time that he gets in there. He gets in Jerusalem, and David rejoices. And the people rejoice, because God has come back into where they're living. And at that point, with a lot of intentionality, David instructs the Levites and the leading Levites to sing. And he gives a long psalm here. Okay? Including Psalm 96. There's other psalms in here, but it's like a a combination. And he is rejoicing. And he tells them, you need to regularly do this. It's not just the celebration time. He teaches them to do it regularly with the intentionality that people are going to come and they're going to hear this psalm. So, this psalm that I'm not going to read here, I mean, it's at length, but it says this first movement and in, in First Chronicles 16, verses 8 through 22, that is found Psalm 105. 1 through 15. The second movement of the psalm that you find in 1 Chronicles is verses 23 through 33, and that is found Psalm 96, almost into its entirety. There's just a little bit. The first line in Psalm 96 and the last line in Psalm 96 is left out of the psalm in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We would say that's 1a 1B to 13A. You guys recognize when you see Scripture A and B, it's the first, the second, half and half? Okay. If you didn't, now you know. And then the third movement, which is verses 34 through 36, it's consisting of a quotation of the opening and closing sentences of Psalm 106. This is the one that... David wants them to sing when people come 
to praise and sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that God. All three of the Psalms that are quoted in our Bible are known as anonymous Psalms or orphan Psalms. And those are Psalms that don't have a designation of who wrote it. Right? We have the Psalm, the, the single Psalm of Moses, and then we have, this, you see a Psalm of David, Psalm of David, Psalm of Heman, Psalm of Asaph, Sons of Korah. We have all these designations for a lot of the Psalms, but these three do not. Outrage! I think all three of these, in my humble opinion, should be known as Psalms of David. Just between you and me. And Facebook. I, I think they all should be, should have, consider. So if you have a Bible, write that Psalm of David in there. Just do it. Or if you have it in your PDF, you can type it in. All right. So I, I want to bring up some points when we look at the First Chronicles part because I want us to look at a few things that I think should be relevant to us. Okay? Should be, help us in our walk with God. And you don't get a lot of that from First Chronicles. In fact, we didn't really... That, first and Second Chronicles, when we were doing First and Second Kings and First Second Samuel, First Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles was additional reading for you overachievers. So, just let me... Let's take a little bit of that. Just give me a few minutes. What time is it? Oh, we've got plenty of time. All right. Number one. Did you see in our reading that David specifically sets up or anoints, if you will, worship leaders for the worship of God at the temple? And he, by name. You know, we have worship leaders here. Do you know that we're carrying on the tradition of 3,000 years for setting aside people, anointing them for worship? That'd be like, in our time, we'd be like, and Pastor Mark and Jeremy set up, not that I'm a king, <laughs> um, set up, you know, Sam, son of Michael, uh, Noah, son of Trinidad, Madeline, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Lineberger. I mean, we'd set them aside because we know that they're worship leaders. And that is a God-given anointment position. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And do you think that in the times when they were doing it, that they had a little trouble with the liar? It's not playing right. Or someone stuck gum in the trumpet and they can't blow it? Oh, we're still going to praise the Lord. That's exactly what happened today. But we still praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, this kind of made me sing louder. Sorry, Matthew. But, and one thing I also noticed about this is it doesn't say anything about Asaph or Jeremiah or any of these people over here. Oh, Zechariah, not Jer- Jeremiah. That they sang well. They just did it. They obeyed. That's interesting. Second, did you notice that David intends for there to be an intentional time for people to come and worship and praise God? 
An intentional time. It took time to prepare the cakes. It took time to prepare the tent. It got... You know what? Sometimes people are like, well, you know, I don't need to go to church. I just go and praise God in the, in the mountains. Uh, okay. And you can. And that's absolutely worthy. But you know what? There is nothing wrong with organizing, coming together, being intentional, and planning, and worshiping God together. It's biblical. We need to be intent on doing it. And even more so, you need to be intent on coming to church and worshiping together. Don't wake up on Sunday morning and say, hey, should we go to church today? No, Friday and Saturday, you know what? i got to get to bed, i got to get up, because i got to come to church, because I want to intentionally take some time to praise God, to hear His Word, and to fellowship with His people. Intentionally. Now, if you forget and you wake up Sunday morning, and you're still in your bed clothes, hey man, throw some clothes on, come anyway. But I think you need to be intentional. I think you need to be disciplined in your life. To be able to do that. And number three, this particular psalm in First Chronicles is a psalm worthy of studying. Even though we're not into the psalm, we're doing the psalms, it's but you should include this in your study for those of you that are overachievers. Mark West. I mean everybody. <laughs> Because this is good stuff. And just, just let me get you excited about studying an additional psalm. All right? Just, just give me a few seconds before I dive into 96. Because this is good stuff if you look at it. Okay, verses 8 through 11 of the psalm in First Chronicles 16, not to be confused with Psalm 96, says we should praise God and make him known. Okay? For some of you who may have heard that for the first time, says you should praise God. The initial question is, why? Why should I praise God? Have you, have you ever had someone do that to you, maybe not a Christian, and you go, you say something and it just comes out of your mouth, and you go, praise God? And they go, mm. and they roll their eyes. Or they go, why? Right? The rest of the psalm gives you the why. It does. It says so in verses 12 through 22, it said Israel should praise God because of his covenant and divine protection. Because of the miracles that he did to draw Israel out of Egypt. And it's the covenant. I mean, they're bringing the tabernacle. So the covenant is right there, but he's he says, you guys should praise God. And then in Israel, you should praise God because of this. And then it expands even more. Verses 23 through 33, which happens to be Psalm 96, says that we need to look past Israel, talk to all the nations, and not just the nations, but creation should praise him. Why? Because God is God. God made the heavens. God is better, bigger, than all other gods, and that there are all, all those other gods are worthless, and that creation longs and sees and praises God with all of their being, whatever it is. He mentions trees, rivers, 
And then verses 34 through 36, if you listen to any of the Messianic Psalms last week, the end of this is clearly a Messianic message. Verses uh, 34 through 36. And it talks about Messiah, and, and this part can be added to his first advent when Jesus first came into the scene, or when he comes again. Both of those are relevant in this psalm that was sung 3,000 years ago. Wrap your mind around that. All right, so let's dive into Psalm 96. I want to read this, and I, okay, I, I'll be honest with you. It's one of my favorite psalms. When I was checking out the psalms and which ones we're going to read and which ones I was going to preach on, I was like, yeah, I'm doing this one. (laughs) Take that, Jeremy. (laughs) But it just worked out. So this is great. So let me, let me, let's, let's read this together. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. For He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Does that, did you hear something very similar in all of our praise music this morning? Did you or, or is it just me? I mean, that was like, huh, did we plan this? The Holy Spirit did. I guarantee you. Number seven, verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all the creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Wow. Thirteen verses of just awesomeness. Can you imagine singing this song to God? You will. Trust me, you will. So it says, sing a new song. Really, this is a new song? It's been 3,000 years, kind of an old song. 
if you want to know my personal opinion. An oldie but a goodie, as the case may be. But think about it this way. There are people on this planet who've never heard of God. Never heard of Jesus. But when they do, they want to sing and praise Him. This psalm is for the entire world. It says all the nations. And like most scriptures that say all, all means all. Right? And it says, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. This song can be sung to someone who has never known God, but is getting to know God and introduced to God. They can sing that as a new song. And when we sing it in heaven, it'll be a new heaven, a new earth, a new song. Here's what the New Testament has to say about all peoples, all tribes, all nations. First, I'm sorry, first. First Revelations, yes, Revelation. 7, 9 through 10. This is John speaking. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding, wait, palm branches? Didn't we just have Palm Sunday? We're gonna, there's going to be another Palm Sunday. And another Psalm Sunday in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Did you know that? we got all the tribes, all the nations wearing white robes designating their assignment and allegiance to God who came in soil garments, but the Lamb has washed it white because of what He did on the cross. Mark West and I met before this morning. We talked, He talked about the, the, the scroll that's held up. Is, who is worthy to open the scroll? And it's the Lamb that is worthy. And because of His worthiness, our robes are white. And not just our robes, but there are some that are still waiting to get their robes. And this song urges us to go to the nations, to tell of His wonderful deeds. In this, the psalm that we just sang or read, it says, Sing among, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Oh. There's a lot of talk these days of equity. 
in our world today. And quite frankly, because we're fallen nature, we're never going to get it right. But let me tell you who will. The judge of heaven and earth, the one who has got the authority to, to judge. And, and did you see this? This song is rejoicing of judgment. Usually we think of judgment and we're like, oh, I'm scared. But we shouldn't be scared because it's going to be correct judgment. It's not going to be misguided. It's not going to be bribed. It's not going to be tainted. It's going to be perfect because it's judges in righteousness. That's something to look forward to. Here's what the New Testament has to say about it. Among other places, but let me give you this one. Romans 2, 14 through 16. And when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. This is, this is a promise. It's going to happen. Judgment comes. You don't escape judgment. Guys, we're not going to escape judgment. But because of who we are in Christ, we will get a pardon. Did you hear that? We'll get a pardon because of our relationship with Jesus. Wait, wait, who paid for that sin? You did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. Jesus got me. He paid the debt. His death is what covered my sin. It's the only, that's the only hope we have, guys. That's the only hope we have. We should sing about it. And number three, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant, everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. Let me tell you what the New Testament has to say about that. Again, in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. This is Paul speaking. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Does, wait, does Psalm 96 not sing of this very thing? We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Man, that is Psalm 96. Can you, can you walk up into the mountains and hear the wind blowing through the trees? Wait, is that the song of hope for the trees waiting for the restoration of creation at the end of time? I think so. I think this is exactly what Psalm 96 is pointing to. And not just them, us. As we have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ. We should want more. We should want more. More of His Word. More of fellowship. More of interaction with the Holy Spirit. I know I do. Sure, I have times where I'm like, eh. But for the most part, it's especially when I'm diving into Scripture, when I'm reading Psalm 96, I'm like, I want that. I want to sing that song. I want to sing it now. I want to sing it when Christ returns. I want to sing it when I'm in heaven. I've got my new body. Oh man, I want that new body. Have you, have you thought of Psalm 96 is not just a song that can be sung now and not just sung in the near future but for all of eternity. Sing a new song. New song? This is a song that's going to be around forever. I love that. That even though God who's been around forever is still going to be there. Because he, he's everlasting to everlasting. He never changes. I submit to you, this psalm, even though it's in the Old Testament, is for Christians. I, I really do. It's, it's, a new, it's a new song, yet an old song. A song that can be sung now. A song that can be sang for eternity. And I'm grateful it's in the Bible. Won't you stand with me? If you have not gotten on board and reading a psalm a day, let me encourage you. If I could order you to do it, I would tell you. Do it! Read a psalm a day. And read along with us. I'm not saying I'm so great but one of the things that Barb and I have chosen to do for this study we wake up and before we even get out of bed we read the particular psalm that we're doing for the day it has changed our conversation 
throughout the day. It's been amazing. I encourage that. All you married couples, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. It's a good start. It's awesome. Father God, thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you continue to show us that you know what's going on. You've got this thing. All we have to do is just submit to you, to love you, to trust you, to praise you. How, whatever that looks like, Lord. Thank you for letting me praise you because I sing terrible. But I love praising you. I love singing to you because you're so worthy. No one else is worthy but you, Lord. For me to sing to, to, to love and adore and to speak your truth back at you with the word of God. Father God, thank you and praise you. Help us to do more of that on a daily basis. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.